Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, getting things done with a woman who knows how. We will also talk about the future of wealth management and how we can make it better. That's with our guest, Lori Hardwick, referred to by some as a Swiss army knife of financial services leadership. Lori has many current roles and responsibilities, including being CEO of WealthTech at Red Rock Strategic Partners. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. I guess the summer is over because our nice summer rally seems to be ending. So here comes the fall and weaker markets. How are you expecting the fall season to play out? Well, it has been a nice summer rally, Robin. And, you know, a study just hit my desk this week, and I think it was pretty interesting. It's going to sound pretty obvious, but I think it's still pretty cool. And it showed that every bit of a price gain that we get off the lows means a greater likelihood that the bottom in mid-June will stick. So if we just look at the current gains so far, historically, that means we have approximately a 95% chance that that bottom in June will last. So that's the good news. Looking at history, however, there is something called the presidential election cycle. And of course, we have a midterm election coming up on November 8th, and that would historically suggest some market volatility and potential price weakness in the weeks and months ahead. However, once the election is over, the odds do suggest nice gains, not only we pass the election, but we also have a seasonal tailwind as well. But you know what? That's all just short-term market stuff. Mm-hmm. Today's guest will have us talking and thinking about big picture wealth management trends. And I'm excited to have Lori <laughs> on the podcast. All right. Well, let's bring her in. Lori Hardwick is CEO of Wealth Tech at Red Rock Strategic Partners in Philadelphia and a member of the board at Orion Advisor Solutions. Lori, welcome to The Weighing Machine. Thank you very much, Robin. Excited to be here, you know, and talk to you. It's been a long time since last time I've done (laughs) one of these. So I'm excited to share some new insights. Excellent. Well, let's have some fun right off the bat. And what we need to hear, at least we can imagine that we can hear it, is we need a walk-up song. As Lori Hardwick comes up to the (laughs) stage here for this big interview, what is that song we can hear? You know, I am going to pick Thunder by Imagine Dragons. That is a, uh, you know, the thunder before the lightning thing. Oh, yeah. That is one that I love because it, you know, it talks about believing in your dreams, sticking with things, even when you're pretty much the underdog. And that's what my walk-up song would be. Nice. Our playlist continues to get better. All right. Well, Lori, as we mentioned, you're the CEO of Wealth Tech at Red Rock Strategic Partners, but you're also involved in a lot of other financial services companies as a board member, including, as we said, Orion. And you were also board chair of Riskalyze, among many other places. So tell us how you got to where you are today and a little bit more about what you do in your current position. 
Sure. So, you know, I do have a very wide variety of roles that I've played in my career. I started in asset management, actually in muni bond sales way back when. And then I founded the RIA program at Nuveen Investments, which very few people know that. It was way back when RIAs were not even known (laughs) as anything. But I believed in them. And I said, you know, they have a great way of thinking about fiduciary you know, responsibilities, even way back then, fee-based was really something that was unheard of. And so I um, founded a program there, you know, as one of their largest programs today. So I'm excited about that one. But most people know me from my time at InvestNet. I was there for 16 years and was one of the original partners. Actually, we all came from Nuveen, interestingly. You know, I was there 16 years. We took that company public after 10 years. I was in charge of all of the sales, relationship management, product and platform consultants. So really anyone engaging with the clients over that time. And as you know, InvestNet grew a lot during those 16 years. Really, we were kind of fintech before fintech was a thing. (laughs) So (laughs) that was fun to be in that world and kind of see how things were changing over time. Then I went to be COO at Pershing. And then after that, I kind of tried my hand at entrepreneurship and co-founded a firm called AI Labs. And we sold that firm in a successful transaction actually the week before the COVID lockdown. So me and my my good timing played out again. So (laughs) since that time, I pivoted my career more into private equity. I work with Genstar Capital, which is part owner of Orion, of course. And I'm on that board, as you mentioned, Robin. I'm also on the board of Cetera, which Genstar owns, and was just recently recently appointed to the board of Serity Partners, which Genstar just invested in as well. And then separately, I am a chairman of a company called Vestwell, which is a retirement solutions TAMP, if you will, helping advisors set up and work with small business owners to help them with workplace savings accounts. So that is what I'm doing these days. I do have a consulting firm, as you mentioned, but I actually don't do that much in consulting anymore. I really am dedicated to my boards and the board work. It keeps me pretty busy these days. Yeah. All right. Well, as Rusty mentioned in the intro, you have been referred to as the industry Swiss army knife, given your successful (laughs) track record in so many different roles. And I also love the recommendation that someone wrote for you on LinkedIn. It was just one sentence. And it said, if you want to get something done, just ask Lori. I feel like that sums up (laughs) a lot. So you have accomplished so much professionally. Tell us what you're most proud of and who are you most thankful for? You know, I love this question because it gives me a chance to, you know, really thank people (laughs) who've been there for me over the many years and, you know, kind of be reflective on that. The thing I'm most proud of, honestly, is my reputation of kind of can-do gal. I've worked with a lot of firms as clients. I've worked with a lot of firms over my career, and I'm really proud of my reputation that I've built over those 30 plus years. We won't go into numbers exactly, but 30 (laughs) is plenty. And I do feel like most people would say, especially if they know me, that I'm authentic and that I'm thoughtful and that I really try to solve problems with people. And so 
whether they're a client or a teammate, I will always go the extra mile. And I am really proud of that reputation I've built. And what I'm most thankful for is the people I've worked with. Honestly, I've learned so much from the people I've worked with. I have been supported a lot along the way throughout the twists and turns of my career. And, you know, I have a women's advisory board, kind of a personal advisory board that has been there for me through thick and thin helping me. And I help them too, through the highs and the lows. It's nice to have a team of people you can go to and also celebrate the wins. I think women frequently, in particular women, don't, you know, brag or be like, hey, guess what I got as an award or something. But it's really cool to be with other professional women who also have great achievements that we can celebrate together. And then also some really pretty big lows that we get through together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we mentioned, you're a board member of numerous organizations, including Orion, GenStar, and Cetera. From your vantage point, being involved in so many organizations, what are you most excited about in our industry? Okay, so this is yet again another great question, because I love the fact (laughs) you're not going for the negative, you're going for the positive. (laughs) And certainly now with markets and everything the way they are, people tend to gravitate to the negative. So I love talking about the good stuff. But, you know, I used to say that the financial services industry was woefully behind when it came to, you know, just ease of use, both for advisors and clients. Advisors were swivel chairing all day long from one application to the next, to the next, to the next, just to get one darn account open. I mean, it really was not easy. The client, on the other hand, was feeling that also, you know, not just for onboarding, but for lots of things, trying to just figure out where their, you know, estate plan is, what their taxes are going to be, where their insurance is, where their investments are today. You know, are they still on track with the financial plan? None of it was really talking to each other. So today I can say, you know, the one good thing from COVID was that it really did accelerate the adoption of new technology, not just from advisors, but from end clients. So there was clearly resistance before that, you know, the people get into their day to day work, and they're, you know, just like, kind of like, don't move my cheese, but COVID moved everybody's cheese. So now we are in a great position to have that technology adoption that I think was sorely needed to really accelerate, you know, efficiencies within the advisors and the clients' lives, quite frankly. Some of the things that I do think are, you know, most exciting, I will say, you know, let's go down the list of some of the firms I'm affiliated with. Obviously, Orion has done a massive amount of change over the last two years, starting with, you know, since I've been involved, Brinker Capital, then Basis Code, Hidden Lovers, you know, more recently, Redtail, and also Town Square. So when you start to look at the impact of bringing that together, I really don't think the industry has even caught up to what our thinking is there and how really dramatically impactful that will be for advisors and their clients as we think about everything from a client and advisor standpoint. So obviously what plays into that too is, you know, lead generation, all of the stress testing for portfolios, regulatory and compliance oversight, 
and obviously all the trading tools and portfolio management that is now linked into the CRM. I hate to be too much of a commercial here, but I am genuinely so excited about this because it's really first of its kind for our industry. So I'm super excited about that. Working down the line, Cetera also has a number of new technology things that they have been working on. Advice Works, which is a aggregated account opening solution with digital account opening. They have been releasing that to their advisors over the past year, and it's been extremely successful, saving not just minutes a day, but hours a day for those advisors. And then Beyond that, they have a new system called Growth360, which is really cool because it's using the new kind of like way that people like to work using communities and taking other advisors' ideas for how to grow their business and then digitizing that so that not only do you have the community side of things, but you then have the digital side where you can really gauge your success. And so that has been massively successful for Satera as well. And again, I don't know of any other firm that has that. So we're really proud of that feature. And then lastly, Satera also is building an entirely new platform and has built it with Orion for RIA-minded advisors that they have. So rather than having those advisors go off into RIA land and have to you know, run their own business, figure out all the, as we all know, every advisor has to go through all the ins and outs of building up a whole practice from scratch, they are giving them a launch pad for those RIA-minded advisors to use an entirely different platform designed for RIAs. And they're using Orion as a centerpiece to that. So it's really exciting to see. Well, Laura, we would also love to get your take on the current state and future of the wealth management industry. So first, let's talk about more of the good stuff. I'm going to leave more of the negative questions to Robin. Yes. So <laughs> when it comes to the good stuff, one big thing we talk about a lot are experiences and how are overall experiences improving for financial advisors and their clients? Well, what I find most fascinating that's happened in the last, I would say, just two to five years is that the really historic, bold lines that used to be drawn between wirehouses, banks, independent BDs, and RIAs is really starting to blend together. And watching these firms kind of morph into you know, new services and solutions that makes it easier for advisors and their clients to have a better experience. So an example of that is, you know, an advisor that is working, let's say, at an independent broker dealer, where it used to be primarily commission based. I just talked about how Satera is one of the few that is working towards their RIA minded advisors and building special you know, modules and tools for those advisors that fit best. And then you also have, you know, banking solutions where, you know, digitizing a check into your account is now available, digital onboarding, the insurance is now available in one place where clients can go and see their investments, insurance, banking all together. And so I think we'll start to see even more taxes, for example, estate planning, for example, still needs to come into that fold. But I do believe that at the end of the day, 
and I've always believed this, that if you can build efficiencies and a power to advisors to empower their end clients with more information, that's what's going to win the day is having that transparent view across the board and having kind of not one-stop shop necessarily, but at least one place where you can see everything in one area and you can really track where you are against your financial plan every single day. I think that now, while the market's down, you know, clients really wonder like, well, we did that financial plan a year ago. Am I still on track? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? Is my advisor really watching this? You know, there's a, a lot of like, anxiety that happens with that. And so the more that we can put in front of them from a digital perspective, I think the more the advisor can react to things that are truly on their mind, the client's mind. All right. Well, my turn. So let's turn to something negative, but it's not really (laughs) negative. It's just, and you've touched on it a little bit, but what are some of the ways that the financial advisory industry can improve? Or let's talk about some of the challenges that still need to be addressed. So I'm going to harp on the fact that it's unification. I still believe that advisors and their clients have to go through too many hoops to see everything in one place. And ultimately, I think as you know, the industry evolves, we will see more and more components coming together to make advisors smarter about where all the assets are for their client and be able to be a little more thoughtful of you know, how asset allocation should go and or what changes should be made to stay in alignment with financial plans. So the really good news is that over the last 10 years, financial planning tools have been one of the number one things that advisors have purchased for their firms. And so that has really allowed for this kind of anchor back to a financial plan that has allowed, I think, both end clients and advisors to be a little more staying the course, allowing them to have more inputs into that than it used to be. You know, obviously they'd run a financial plan and you'd print it out and it would sit on your on your armoire and that was the end of it. So today it becomes more of a living, breathing document that I believe will really change the way advisors advise and the way clients decide to stay in or out of the market. So of course I work at Orion, which (laughs) among the many things we do is we are a provider of wealth tech. And I did mention to somebody, I was interviewing you and if there were any questions and she said, yes, ask what are broker dealers looking for in wealth tech providers these days? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. You know, and I do work with a lot of broker dealers. First of all, they don't like being called broker dealers anymore. (laughs) They're all independent, you know, financial wealth planning firms. So that is one of the changes that has happened in the industry. But, you know, all of these firms are looking for ways to offer optionality to their advisors. I think that as you know, these firms are morphing, which we've talked about, you know, kind of that line between wirehouse banks and RIAs and independent wealth management firms is morphing. So they're looking for ways to add value to their advisors. That doesn't mean that they have to go through one captive solution to get there. They want to offer options so that advisors have an ability to kind of build their own best of breed solutions inside a, you know, broker dealer. And that is what I think we're seeing a lot of these days. Now, broker dealers 
you know, or independent wealth management firms are also looking for ways to grow. Clearly, that is a number one, you know, goal, I think, of every single firm out there. So when they are looking for new ways to grow, they're looking for ways to obviously build leads effectively. Obviously, you could do a smart X where, you know, just tons of names come at you. But how do you build real, you know, lead demand management within your firm so that these advisors actually have something to continue to grow their business? You know, I do believe that that is happening. Snappy Kraken has a great solution. FMG Suite has a great solution. I mean, we have a great solution at Orion through Marketer. There's a lot of options out there. I think advisors, unfortunately, are not using them quite as much as they should. But when you're talking to the broker dealer firms and those executives, they are absolutely looking for ways to, you know, build more value for their advisors because they don't want them to leave. I mean, it's fierce out there right now between, you know, competitive situations where advisors are moving from firm to firm. There's a lot of money that's at stake, you know, they get offered. So, you know, it's incumbent on these independent wealth management firms to really show their advisors value. And, the best way to do that is to say, if you stay with us, we'll help you grow faster than your peers. Mm. All right. Well, another kind of negative question, but really it's not negative because it's just an opportunity. But women are still not very well represented in this industry, even though there's actually, and we've mentioned this on the show before, but there are numerous studies out there that show women are better investors, they're better financial advisors, and they're actually going to control the bulk of investable assets in the U.S., in the very near future. So as a female investment professional, what do you think that the barriers are for women entering the profession and how can we get more women interested and involved? Oh boy. Um, this is a bit, unfortunately, it's a lot. <laughs> I feel like I've talked about this for many years and the needle is still not moving very fast, but there are a number of, I think, ways that we can be working better as an industry to help get more females into our industry. You know, the CFP board and Center of Financial Planning has done a number of things to try to educate not only the college level, but also at the high school level. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, when I talked to my other female executives in financial services, we all found it by accident. I mean, so if if that continues the case, then it's always going to, you know, not be a very big percentage of female executives, either in financial services or financial advisors. You can't have a whole industry that where, you know, females find it by accident. So what I think is when you look at the way most people find their way to financial, you know, especially if they're going to be an RIA or an advisor, that methodology or the way they think about things is mostly about, you know, stock picking. They really like the market. They like watching the market and seeing, you know, how they do building and managing their own portfolios. And that may not be something that actually attracts women, you know, head on. I will say I was not of that ilk, you know, but 
when you look at the financial services industry as a whole, obviously there's a ton of options for women in our industry, like, you know, head of sales, that's what I did, or working directly with clients. I think as a female executive, as an advisor, obviously this is something that is a huge opportunity for women even more so because as you were mentioning robin you know there's this huge transfer of wealth expected to women mostly because the baby boomers are aging and women live 6 mm-hmm. years longer than men do and so as you think about that automatic transfer of wealth you know the really interesting thing that i heard recently from mckinsey they did a report that said that 70% a full 70% of women who are widowed move to a new financial advisor within 12 months of being widowed. So not that women want to work with women all the time, but women want to work with people they know they can trust. And apparently they don't necessarily feel a connection or that they can trust the advisor that they currently are with when they're widowed. I find that a huge opportunity for all of the advisors out there to find ways to connect with your women clients so that they don't leave you if and when they are widowed. One of the things that I think you can do is really make sure that they're fully aware of the financial plan. All the research shows that financial planning is the number one thing that attracts women into the financial understanding of where they are. And so if you can do something to make sure that you are bringing them into that conversation, I believe that will actually help reduce that percentage of women who leave their advisor. But it is something that I think we really need to keep a close eye on. It may be a niche, you know, new growth business for someone else who wants to go work with widows. I actually have a very good friend who's a woman in New York City who does just that. She focuses on widows and Hmm. her business is growing exponentially. Wow. I think you hit on some good points there, Laura. I mean, I think there is sort of this conception of what the investment industry is all about. So for instance, like I, I'm a CFA and CMT, mm-hmm. these two professional credentials. If you look at the study materials, you would think it's really about math, mm-hmm. just heavy, heavy math. But I'm also looking into uh, doing another thing on behavioral finance right now. And when you look at the studies, it suggests that really 90% of investment success is about behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more about psychology. And it's also about, you know, relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about how investors are successful or how advisors are successful. It's not the math stuff. It's like, it's the other stuff. And I think it's, it goes back to the schooling, you know, when we first learn about investing and those early course materials, they hit you with like derivative math. That's not what we're really doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so many of the really successful advisors out there are, they are empathetic. They have a high EQ. They understand the math side and they understand the portfolio management side, of course, but they understand all those other elements. And, you know, when you look into, I love hearing Dr. Daniel Crosby talk because, you know, it really resonates with me. But when you look into just money in general, everyone has their own very personal relationship with money. A lot of people, when they start to make 
a lot of money, start giving it away randomly because they don't feel comfortable having that much money. Others who make a lot of money are still like squirreling it away like crazy because they are so scared they are eventually going to run out of money. And so if the advisors can relate to their clients as to what their relationship is with money, I think that that is the core to kind of having that great trusting relationship because it's not that you have to change their view on money, but you really need to understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, related to that question, let's move into some questions that we like to ask our guests here on the show. And the first is, so you've worked with many financial advisors over the years. And so in short, what qualities do you think makes a good financial advisor or wealth manager? Mm -hmm. Let me kind of twist it one more time. Let's say you have to shop for a new financial advisor right now. What qualities would you look for in that advisor? Yeah. You have to pick a new one. (laughs) Well, I know someone asked me the other day, well, would you be one of the 70% that you know, find a new financial advisor if your husband passes. And I took a second. I was like, well, yes, I know I would. And, you know, she was like, well, why? And I was like, because my husband's my financial advisor. So if he passes, (laughs) clearly I'm going to need a new one. Um, But anyway, despite all of that, um, what I look for, what I would personally look for is someone who puts their client's needs ahead of their own. I really believe that, you have to have someone who is very reputable. I would be looking at the references right away. I would be looking at, you know, reviews. I know that probably sounds crazy, but it is exactly what I would do. I would ask friends and family, you know, who to work with. And then once I was talking, of course, I know a ton of advisors and I'd probably pick one of those that I already know and trust. But I really would pick someone that I have a good, like I feel a chemistry with. Again, I do think that, you know, Everyone has a different path towards what they think that number is. My husband and I talk about this a lot. Like, wonder if our number is way different than someone else's number, like for retirement. Like, what is that number for everybody? But, you know, I think you've got to have someone you really can trust. And it is a little bit, you know, scary, I think, for most people to select a new financial advisor. And, you know, unfortunately for our entire industry, Every time there's a really bad apple, they're the ones who get all the press and all the attention. Meanwhile, there are thousands of advisors out there doing the right thing for their clients every single day, putting their clients, you know, needs ahead of their own. And, you know, we don't get much credit for that, unfortunately. Yeah, indeed. All right. So you have been, of course, professionally and, as we know, personally associated with financial advice and financial advisors for many years. Given this experience, how has this impacted how you personally invest for you and your family? Well, you know, I am a huge believer in kind of eat your own cooking. So I always go through the motion of opening new accounts with every firm that I'm affiliated with to figure out the experience, to be able to track the performance, understand a little bit more about the inners of each one of those firms. So it didn't really work out that great when I was 24 working for Nuveen trying to buy a UIT because it's like $250,000 minimum. So that part did not work. But the rest of it doing, you know, where I was opening accounts through Investnet, I was opening accounts through Pershing. I was opening an account at Cetera, at Orion, at I will now at Serity. 
you know, I really want to understand the experience. And that has affected our investments to some extent. Now, it also holds true with the fact that I now work for a private equity company. We have a lot of money with the new GenStar funds as well. So that has been something new for us. But it is, you know, again, something I hold dear and something that I feel like, you know, more advisors need to have access to as far as private equity and private markets for their end clients. I don't know if we ever would have really gotten into alternative investments if I hadn't gotten into that myself. And I'm really glad we did. They really performed very well. So that's <laughs> that awesome. totally answers your question. It sounds like a lot of paperwork to me. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. No, but it's diversified and eating your own cooking. Those are the hallmarks of good investing in our opinion. So, yeah. all right, our next question, we're going to turn on this head a little bit. And we often ask our guests in terms of what are their habits or practices to perform at a high level personally. But, you know, you manage so many people. What are some of your strategies to getting people motivated and doing good work? Oh, you know what? I love this question because I love the fact that when teams are working together, I'm a big believer and you have to build trust. And in my opinion, to build trust, you have to feel vulnerable together and know that you have each other's back. And so sometimes that can happen through little instances that happen in a work day. But my experience is that I'm really well known for going out to do karaoke with people. You know, obviously that's usually not super easy for most people, but if you get up there as a group and you do it, you're feeling good. I've also taken my team's whitewater rafting before, you know, where it's a little bit on the dangerous side, but you know, you get through it. I mean, thankfully we got through it, but you know, you have each other's backs and you do the high fives and you're, you know, you really have a new kind of trust in each other. So that's how I motivate. That's how I love to work teams when I was in an operating role. So yeah, thanks for the question. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. All right. Well, one more before we let you go. And that is, do you have any content recommendations for our listeners? Anything that you are reading or listening to books, newsletters, podcasts, anything like that? Yeah, you know, I kind of diversify all of that in my own life as far as where I get my information and how I get it. Obviously, it's great to be with GenStar because they get highly resourced and able to send information from McKinsey and Harvard reports and other things that I probably wouldn't have access to. But I will say, you know, LinkedIn has great options. If you're not actively using LinkedIn, I would really recommend it. They are good at figuring out kind of like things that might be of interest for you. And even a podcast like this would come up and I'm like, oh, I'll listen to this on my walk today. I also think that, you know, the headhunting firm Corn Ferry also does a great job with CEO coaching ideas and write-ups that they do. And then from a broker-dealer executive perspective, I'd highly recommend Gavin Spitzner's weekly write-up. He does a weekly reader for wealth management executives that is free and really, really great content. So I think those would be kind of my top of mind go-tos. Good stuff. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Lori, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a great conversation. And tell us how can listeners stay in touch and learn more about what you're doing? 
best way is honestly through LinkedIn. I'm right on there and I'd love to connect with anybody who has questions or would just like to follow, you know, kind of where I'm going. I'm at a lot of conferences coming up this fall and um, yeah, would love to connect with any of your listeners. So my other quick question is, what else do you do for hobbies? You know, we have a place out in Park City. So we ski, I ski a fair amount. And then meanwhile, we live in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. So we do a lot of boating. I've recently gotten into pickleball like everybody else, but I am actually really good at it. And not really good, pretty good, (laughs) pretty good, I would say. (laughs) And then I also, we golf about once a week. So that is you know, kind of the extent of what my hobbies are. Oh, and you know what else? I have an oyster garden. So we live on the bay and we have an oyster garden that, you know, you just have to rinse off once a week, but still I'm oyster gardening, which is more than any other gardening I've done. That is super cool. But we now realize what you don't do and that is sleep. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not true. (laughs) I sleep great. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Lori, thanks for your time today. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It was really fun. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Invest well and be well. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.